Hello, this is HashMap on Tap with Randy Pitcher and Kelly Kaleffel. Today, we're going to talk about technical sales and marketing. Kelly, let's get into it. What are you drinking today? Randy, good afternoon. I have got a, okay, another IPA. You probably knew that was coming, right? Uh, it's nice. a Hanalea Island IPA. My wife just restocked me. It has a little passion fruit, little orange, little guava. And it's, again, in that nice, crisp, summer-type style, drinking really well so far. Should uh, hopefully make it through the show. Yeah, man, island life sounds pretty good right now. What are you sipping on this afternoon? I am sipping on something I don't typically get. It's a pretty dark beer, again, from a local brewery, the Prairie Artisan Ales. It's called Stuffed, and it's their Imperial Stout, aged in a bourbon barrel, which means it burns, man. It's got a little burn <laughs> to it. Well, you need a little burn late in the afternoon. That'll keep you rolling. Yeah, that's that's true. So yeah. today we're going to talk about sales and marketing um, in a technical context, but just generally like sales, right? Mm. I know we, we talk a lot about technical concepts on this show, and I think there's a richness to sales that I've been introduced to over the last year, and I thought it'd be great if we could talk about that. But to set the stage, what do you think we mean when we're talking about technical sales and marketing? So there's a lot of different, I guess you could define it a lot of different ways. And yeah. since I've been in technology for my entire 30 year career, I guess you could consider that has all been, you know, technical sales. And I, I consider it um, something where you've got to really dig down a little bit. You've got to understand at a deeper level more than just color and size, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to make light of other things that maybe people are selling, but I mean, you've got to, you've got to bring it in technical sales and marketing. You've got to demonstrate constant value. And, uh, and it's a challenge with the way this industry constantly changes. How, how would you define technical sales? I think about it in different ways. And certainly all the selling I've ever done was in a technical capacity, accepting, you know, part-time jobs. So, I think about it as really the first impression or interaction anyone has with our company. More than just what are we trying to achieve, we're, we're off on the front line. So if we if we make a crummy impression or make someone feel a certain way, that's just the way HashMap is in their head. It's kind of an important responsibility. And then at the technical level, it, like you said, it's not just color and size. It's just not um, what, what flavor of the month are you interested in. It's we're helping people solve solutions, which involves a little introspection and knowing who they are. So something I've been fond of saying, I always come up with like, we're, we're not technical sales, we're, we're plumbers, we're wiring people, whoever. Yeah. But I think at the sales capacity, I often feel like a data therapist. Like, just lay your stuff out there. Let's unpack that baggage. You know, what's gone wrong in your past and maybe find ways to move forward together. You know, and, and that's an interesting uh, insight that you that you called out there because a, a therapist too, you pay a therapist not necessarily to just be nice to you, right? I mean, oh, a yeah. therapist has to kind of bring some heat sometimes, call you what you are or what you're doing and just say, look, that ain't going to work. And I think that's that's our responsibility, too. I mean, we've got uh, we've got a role where sometimes you do have to bring a hard message and just say, guys, that you know, we've seen that one before. Please don't go down that path. Uh, there yeah. are much better ways to do it knowing that you may uh, offend someone. I can think of a, um, not to get too sidetracked here, but I can think of a not too distant example where uh, we had a client, we went in, they were talking about a lot of stuff that they were doing on-prem and every single thing they were describing in, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, man, a SaaS-based cloud solution could solve that for you. We didn't have an MSA or a master agreement with this particular client at the time. And I decided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and step out and, and just say, look, you guys are going down the wrong path, knowing that they may throw me out of their office. But I delivered a hard message, got up on the board, kind of diagrammed everything out. 
did they go down that path? No, but we actually did get an MSA done with them. We started doing a lot of work with them. And I think ultimately they respected me saying that, look, this is, there's, there are alternatives to what you're doing. And they, they wanted us to keep bringing those alternative ideas to the table. Man, that's the balance you have to strike, particularly in the technical world, is that balance between uh, the, the city on the hill, the perfect mm. dream of what everything could and should be, should's a dangerous word, and the practicalities of now. And yeah. both can lead you down the wrong path if you stick firmly. You've got to find a space in the middle of let's improve, but let's get things done, right? And I think that's something we've, we've struck really well at HashMap, uh, and it's different from other companies I've been at before. Economics of good enough. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you coined that term and I love it. <laughs> so, so looking back, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. And That's a nice way of you, saying it. <laughs> you, you got a ton of experience. When you look back at where you started and kind of where you are now, are there any big changes that really stand out to you? Oh yeah. I mean, that is a really loaded question. I mean, there's so many dimensions. What's changed from then to now? So again, 30 years, 1990 to 2020, exactly 30 years. Technology started out no phone no laptop you would go in you'd sit down at the green ugly screen that's where your email would be you'd literally have messages you know, written in paper from somebody that had called you customers that had called those would be stacked up on your desk you'd go through them you'd you know kind of uh, sort those through make the calls back and where i where i started out we had one old mac with a printer beside it so if you actually wanted to do a proposal, put something in, in those days, you printed everything out. There was no emailing or sending them a nice Google link or something like that, right? So it was all printed out, go down to a Kinko's or something and, you know, bind it all up. But just wow. the technology side alone is is incredible on, on where we are. And we're sitting here today in this season that we're all in with COVID and everybody is fully functional uh, remotely as well in, in this industry. And I so technology one. Number two, technique. <laughs> when, when I started out, part of our training was literally they would drop us off in an office building and we would work every floor hard knocking on doors, trying to get in to sell something like printer cartridges or toner or those kind of things. Really? And it was that you literally would knock, physically knock on the door go in and hope that, you know, building security didn't throw you out. So and were people receptive to that? Did you find that? I mean, what was your kind of ratio? We sold a little bit of toner. It's, it's about like cold calling today. I mean, you'd, okay. you'd get a, you know, a few leads and a, and a few deals, but, but no, it was about the same, but it was just, there, there was no, there was no email marketing. There was no social media back then. So the, the whole technique was more of an in-person technique. Everything yeah. had to be done that way. I would say so uh, technology technique. The third thing I was thinking about is just the approach. And I feel like that the approach was, I don't know the best way to say it, maybe more heavy handed, maybe yeah. more hard selling to a degree back then than it is now. And, and maybe it's because you and I are in consulting services sales. We have a pretty light approach we can talk about later, but I just feel like in general, the sales profession has been elevated up a little bit. There's, there's still, you know, people have different feelings about it, but uh, in yeah. general, more heavy handed then. And then I think I'll, I'll, I'll throw out one more and we could go on and on on this, but yeah, the level of value that clients expect today, when you think about today's client, they can get any type of way more information than we could communicate in a 30 minute session or an hour session with them, whatever they want. If they're, if they're willing to go out and just Google 
they've got everything there. So the yeah the ex the level of expected value is really high, and I think what's really difficult to do is to bring value at that level, and then expect nothing in return. Like just continue to bring that value, be relevant, figure out ways to be different or unique and don't expect anything in return. Don't get that heavy handed approach and just keep bringing that value. I think that that has just ratcheted up as high as I've ever seen it. So to me, those are those are four areas where uh, sales has really changed a lot since, uh, well, over that 30 year period. What, what have you seen, let's say over the last, you know, two, three, uh, four years. What anything that has shifted dramatically, Randy, on on your side? So, I don't have a lot of experience or history in this. I think a big shift that I've seen more on the enterprise side is from long multi year deals, which you still see, to more month to month approaches. Mm. Which it it means that you don't have to just force all your sales bodies to get the deal signed, then it's done, and then you can chill out until it's time to renew. You only have to deliver value every day. Certain clouds, you have to deliver value every hour or they turn it off. And that changes the approach, both for sales and that relationship with the client, right? The dynamic is different at that point. It is. And, and what you just described, every large technology company, Oracle, SAP, Microsoft, you name the Cisco, everybody's having to shift because it's been this capital intensive. You do a massive ELA, ULA, name your, name your LA flavor. Yeah. for three or five years to wait a minute i don't have to do that anymore i can go consumption based on a SaaS based offerings uh, salesforce obviously set the stage on that a while back but in the space you and i operate in the data, data and analytics space these SaaS based offerings are coming on like wildfire right now i mean they yeah. are really moving fast and if i were starting up my own firm right now I go 100% SaaS. There ain't no way. SaaS. No way I'm building out infrastructure. No way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with even PaaS if I can help it. Just deliver me a HubSpot-like experience. That is what I want because all I'm doing is dealing with my business and not dealing with technology and infrastructure. I'm going to go sell solutions. Yeah, that's interesting when you, when you talk about that services and platform side. And you've had experience selling on both of those sides of the environment. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how those two approaches are different? Maybe if there are ways where they're similar when you're selling a platform or a technology solution versus selling services that, that you're kind of on tap. There really are a lot of differences. So I, I have done product sales, hardware product sales, AS400, RS6000, uh, System38, System36 types of systems uh, back in the day. So, you know, PCs and all that, Any anything around hardware, networking and all that. But then also software from a product standpoint. I was with Oracle for 10 years, right? Handled the, the the entire technology portfolio. So you think databases, you think Exadata, you think security software, BI, really anything in that middleware space. And and today, you and I, we're we're selling uh, consulting services in the technology space. And in one broad brushed kind of feeling that I get as I look at product versus services, and I I, I think I communicate this a lot, is that you know, we don't have that intense pressure, at least right now we don't, we don't have this intense pressure to close a deal in a quarter. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know, hopefully you've never felt that here. Never, never. Yeah, we, we don't have that. When you go to the product side, man, you better get ready because if you did not deliver what you signed up for in blood yeah. in that quarter and you're delivering your QBR that next week, you're going to get hammered. Yeah. 
I have peers or, or friends, other people I work with who are at product companies and, and they'll, they'll be like, Oh man, these are crazy right now. It's the end of the quarter. I'm like, I have no idea what that's like. That sucks. Yeah. It's the, I would say, so one big difference I would say there, there's a lot of pressure, you know, especially if it's a public product company um, yeah. or a product company that's on a path to IPO or that is really growing fast and that scrutiny starting to come on quarter to quarter. Uh, the pressure in the product sales world is really, really intense and it's tough to deal with. I think for some people, you've got to have a, a pretty hard shell to uh, to get through it because it's just the the way that sales works. Not every quarter, you're not going to sit at 200 percent every quarter. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. I think I think the other thing when I look at when I look at today, sort of product and, and, and services, you know, just I think about the data warehouse space, for instance, you've got. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, a number of years ago, maybe I could have gone a relational database and I could have gone an appliance like Teradata and Natisa. I mean, now you just, you know, look at look at compute and Azure, compute and AWS or GCP. I've got so many options. And even if yeah. I am a focused product person, let's say I'm let's say I'm at Azure and I've got the data and analytics product portfolio. I'm a specialist in data and analytics. Yeah, that ain't one product. I mean, you've got service after service after service. And just like uh, today, we got asked by a customer to, to help them with what about Cosmos versus Azure DW Synapse versus Snowflake? How do those all fit together? You've got to be able to answer those from a product perspective and kind of sort through. And what ends up happening at the product companies, there tends to be a lot of infighting because you're yep. fighting over the same dollars. The Cosmos guy is fighting with the Synapse Azure DW guy, or the Dynamo guy is fighting with the Redshift guy over the same dollars. And, and same kind of thing at the you know Oracles or SAP. So anyway, a, a lot of differences. Again, we could go on and on on that. Um, yeah. You're working with uh, some of our partners who certainly are product companies and what we do here. What have you seen as any you know differences or you know challenges either side? Yeah, that's tricky, right? Um... I think the big thing that's different now as, as some of the tools that we work with mature, they become bigger companies, they start to grow in size is that territorialism extends beyond where people overlap mm. and more towards like, well, we don't do that, but we might in the future. So don't even mention like at a partner <laughs> side that we can do. And so it, it, it's tricky to be a vendor neutral partner that can help clients. But, you know, if we're introduced by a partner, there, there is a, there's a tacit expectation that we're going to push their solution. Yeah. And, and you've got to balance that with your trustworthiness and, and your word in the marketplace. And in an environment where you are not constrained by options, you're actually inundated. You have option fatigue, you have option paralysis. Yeah. The real way to differentiate yourself as a services partner, because we're not, we're not going to build solutions. We're not going to give you a tool is curation. Right. You see that in Spotify. Right. You see it in Netflix. You see yeah. it in differentiate Amazon. Right. How do you differentiate? Have Amazon's choice. Just make it easy for me to choose now that right. I have everything. Um, and, and that's where we have to stand out. But unfortunately, if, if a solution comes up short in a certain space, it doesn't mean we're not going to recommend you. But maybe you need to partner with another tool you don't like being friends with. Right. Sorry that your companies have beef, but you're great together. Man, it's tough for us, too, because we do have we have a lot of technology partners. We don't resell anything, but, you know, a lot of friends, a lot of technology partners across the industry. And certainly these things overlap, like you said, and we're making recommendations out there and, and clients are, are looking at what we're doing. We're, we're not trying to make partners upset or mad. We're we're trying to literally do what we feel like is the best thing for yeah. the client, which is not motivated out of trying to sell that product. Right. 
Yep. And, and that's core to us to the point yeah. where we've far gone more advanced business opportunities with yeah. specific vendors because we won't go to that tier of reselling their tools. Um, and, and we just won't compromise on that integrity. And I, I feel really thankful to work at a place that values that because mm-hmm. I've had to have tough conversations. I be friendly and professional, but look, I'm not going to push a solution that doesn't work to yeah. a client. Bottom line, because if we do that, we don't have a business anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Moving forward, I'm yeah. curious, we're talking about different approaches you've seen mm-hmm. in technical sales. Um, you talked about other companies and they have these like quotas. This is kind of a two-sided question because I've been curious. Do you think quotas work? Do you think there's a place for them? Uh, we don't We don't use them here or I, I do not have a quota, I'll say. <laughs> I don't know what other people have. Outside of that, have you seen advantages both from the management side and from the actual selling side, two to three really effective approaches in sales? Well, first of all, the, the uh, CSD, our sales directors and AEs do have uh, quotas. So they, they do. Okay. Yeah. Again, it's it's different than product quota where it's, uh, you know, metric down on a, on a quarter by quarter basis. And again, we're we do have a much softer approach. We're not going to try to force a customer into doing business on a time frame that they don't like or that it's just not right for them. So I, I do like them. I think a lot of uh, salespeople are very competitive. And I think that having something to be measured against, they like. Um, yeah. You probably see that a little bit sometimes uh, as well in, in the, let's say, in the engineering or developer community, right? I mean, you look at the the meritocracy that open source software is. I mean, it's open, it's out there, you know who's doing well, you know who's committing a lot of code, you know who's churning through and uh, creating value. And oh, I think, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's the same way, right? So yeah. I am I, I like it, I think it's, a, it's a, I think it's always good to have a way to measure. I'm, I'm big on creating value. And, and for me, that is, that's kind of the great, uh, that's the great equalizer. Well, I'm doing all these things, but no business is coming in. That makes it a little bit tough if you're in the, in the sales game, but yeah. that's what I, I feel like there. Now, when you look at what somebody has to do in technical sales to really be successful, I think that, a lot of us, I think if we've been at large companies, you can you can get in the mindset of I'm going to rely on the marketing department or the SC yeah. or the this or the that to get everything done. And I'm just going to sit back and be the orchestrator. And that probably works for some people. But what I would say is that try to figure out how can I create that value around a personalized experience for every client that you interact with almost okay. every day if possible and then have those really special personalized experiences uh, maybe at certain points throughout the year and it, it, I'm not talking about necessarily spending a lot of money or anything like that but but doing something where they they kind of stand up and say wow nobody else is is taking that approach it's uh i think there's a lot to be said for that i know that we've worked with a, a couple of partners on little you know year end maybe a holiday event or something like that something where you can get to know people on a on a, on a different level always always works well so that that personal touch you think that's one of the advantages just kind of get to know people a little bit put your put yourself in their shoes that's key to success in sales yeah, a- absolutely. I-, I think, you know, above and beyond that, you've got to create that level of trust and credibility. There's a, okay. you, know, you, you, you certainly want to have salespeople that are smart and, you know, strong on the IQ side, but I think that EQ side with the ability to develop trust, credibility, empathy, compassion, you know, being able to put yourself in that other person's place and go, how would I want to be approached and what would I like? And, you know, no, yeah. I, I wouldn't like this heavy handed way that, 
that, that you're approaching me. I think those become really, really important as well. I think if you're not doing some of those things, if you're, it, you, you know, you can get into this situation sometimes in, in sales where, you know, you, you try to be the, the superhuman, right? You, yeah. you literally try to do it all. And we've probably all been there, you know, let, I'm going to, I'm going to crank through um, this RFP or I'm going to crank through this, this code base or whatever that thing is over, and it's just, it's, it's not really sustainable. And I think yeah. you can, you know, you can really wear yourself out that way. So um, I would say, you know, definitely leverage the broader team. If you're at a small company like ours, there's, uh, you know, uh, there's not as, as like, we don't have a massive marketing department that we can go to, but we still have a lot of people that we can leverage to help, help get things done and create a, ultimately create a better experience for the client, I think. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, in doing sales, like more on the technical side, there've been a couple of techniques that I've found have really helped. Just asking questions, being empathetic and building trust. That trust, I think every time someone brings it up on this show, I like to say, that's the currency. Yeah. That That is the language we speak in. And if you lose trust, it's like, you're not gonna have that relationship. And I really like working at a company that values that aspect because a lot of places if they don't give you the space to build trust to give me an afternoon to go work on a workshop with someone who we don't necessarily know is going to close a deal right yeah. build that trust and then they come back totally shock you and they, they buy something huge right or they do yeah. a massive migration today when they thought well we're going to do it in q3 next year no they're like ready to go now just because we've shown the way yeah. right built that trust and, and that's i think that's valuable that you can't google for trustworthy partners no amount of seo is going to get you there yeah, and that and that trust comes in a lot of different ways. I mean, you can't underestimate the need to know the tech. When you know the underlying tech, that builds trust and credibility right out of the gate. So that's one aspect. I mean, just knowing what you're talking about and how it applies to those problems and areas that they've got. But then it's how you do it as well, right? And that's yeah. where that more so you've got that IQ just knowing it. But then you've got how how are you applying that and how are you working through the how well are you listening? Um, how well are you empathizing with the people that you're working with at that client? How well are you getting to know all the different um, angles and, and you know the needs across the different personas that you're working with? Uh, that becomes really, really important. And I think that, you know, there's times again, we just wear ourselves out worrying about you know some of these things where if we just applied a little bit more of that uh, emotional quotient, if you will, to, yeah. to the problem and just don't <laughs> apply this undue pressure and stress to the situation. We, we'd probably, and that's, that's easy for, for me to say right now, because we're not sitting at a product company. I don't have a quarter in coming up tomorrow. Right. But yep. um, it's just, it, 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 it's, it's tough when you're put in that position constantly as, as a client. And going on the technical, like the hardcore technical side, like when it comes up, like, Hey, how does this data get partitioned? I need to answer that question. Yeah. That I think there's a draw for a lot of technical sales folks. And I've seen this at other companies where you really just want to heft that technical weight around and use it almost as a shield, right? Kind of a bullying way to keep people from trying to attack you or your ideas, right? You're the, the technical guy. And I found that just by switching on a little humility, right? Wow. Just a little like, hey, things might have changed since I last looked. We can't know it all. I'm really good at this, but... You know, we got another team member we can talk in or that's a great question. Let me get back instead of like, well, you don't know this. You don't know that you're doing it the old way, your legacy, like that, that kind of stuff. People dig in and you're not going to make much progress. Right. No. And that's it's tough, I think, for some of the, the some of us on the on the technical side, especially if you're a technical SE in the in the sales game to 
to have that level of humility and just say, Hey, you know, I'm going to get back to you on that. I, I don't know it. And don't try to make it, it up. It'll cost to- you nothing. This, this is what's always blown out. Cause I've yeah. seen brilliant people who they, they've wrapped so much of the, the way they see themselves around being the smartest person in every room. Yeah. And when, when they're small, even perceived slights, right. Perceived like attacks to the way they see themselves. They, they crumble and it makes them weaker, right? It makes them less effective. And if you just have this approach of, you know, I've done a couple cool things. I think I can help. I can add value. I want to hear what your problems are. It costs you nothing, but you suddenly become incredibly strong. Nothing sticks to you. There's no attack someone can throw to you. Just, I mean, the most devastating thing you can do really to someone is to tell them a truth about themselves that they don't already know, mm. right? Or that they deny. And if you just open with yourself, um, I, I guess I'm getting a little touchy feely, but in technical sales, you really got to work with emotions more than you might have expected, right? Coming in, writing a little code. Yeah, and I think I think for in the sales SE dynamic. So if you say you've got the 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 one guy that's on the sales side, the other guy's on the more the technical sales side. Um, each side can kind of wear themselves out a little bit or just weary themselves trying to, if you will, sell the other, you know, the, the sales guy, man, I've got this great idea and sell, sell, sell. So I, I know I, at times in my career, I felt like I've had to sell more internally than I yeah. have to the client, like selling to the client was actually easier than selling an idea <laughs> internally. And I yeah. think vice versa, I'm sure I've worked with SEs. You may be one of them that has said, man, this guy is just a you know brick wall here. Why is he not picking up on what I want to do? But again, it's a little bit of that back and forth. And I think the, the relationship, if you've got a good sales SE relationship with with that uh, with that grouping, that, that becomes really, really powerful. You can play off that dynamic. Um, you know when the other person sh- uh, should step in. And I think yeah. the client gets so much value out of that as well. And so I, I would say that's another one. If you can, you know, from an approach standpoint, if you can develop a close relationship with the SC where you trust each other, then that's going to show through to the client. Man, I, I think of it a lot mentally, like afterwards from a really successful joint thing where um, I, I work with Candace a lot, or I seen yeah. you with uh, Chris Herrera when he was yeah. here, right? Just, it's like a pairs tennis match. Just the ability to cover each other's you know, empty spaces, blind spots. Know that if I if I'm not looking back, the other person's going to come and cover. Um, I don't know how many times Candace specifically has come in with like a saving point of chatting while I pulled something up, right? Yeah. So we just we appeared polished, um, and, and that's something special. It doesn't happen overnight, right? If you yeah. can't read. That, that especially now in the remote context, right? If you can't read those small little facial features or tone of voice, mm-hmm. the thing I struggle with a lot is I'm controlling a presentation someone else is giving. And I, I try to get better at that, but you're really good at that. Like, you know, intuitively when it's time to change the slide, like those kind of things, they have an impact. Yeah. You, I think you gave the hook to me today one time when uh, you thought I was going to go off on a customer, which I really don't ever do. But uh, that, oh, you that, never, you that, never do that. No, I know. But I mean, that's that's I think getting to know somebody like that where you say, hey, let me handle this situation. And maybe it's getting a little uh, little touchy. Maybe I've had a long day. Right. Maybe yeah. I'm just a, I'm out of pleasant words to say or something like that. So I think having that kind of relationship is really good. I, I know I've gone down tunnels technically where. It, it's the weeds and, and I haven't realized it. I try to stay up there, yeah. but you have come in and say, they're like, Hey guys, let, let's elevate this discussion just a bit. Talk about something bigger picture. Candace does that great too. Yeah. Um, you need that, right? Cause no one of us can be the perfect person. Right. Uh, so you gotta have those teamwork. Yeah, so absolutely. thinking um, about those kind of things, are there any organizations or individuals you look to as being really representative of the kind of sales approach you're trying to strive to, you aspire to be like, 
Well, I think we had a whole podcast on him. You and I did, uh, we did a podcast on HubSpot and HubSpot analytics. And I think we're going to have a little teaser. I think we're going to have HubSpot guest on here at some point. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Um, so I would, I would hold them up. I, I really look, um, I, full disclaimer, we are a HubSpot customer. Uh, we do not get paid by HubSpot. I actually pay them. Right. We use their sales and marketing system. So we pay them every month. But I love the way they go to market. In fact, I was I was telling somebody the other day that, um, you know, the 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 lady that handles our account, who's fantastic. I, I've mentioned her many, many times. Uh, Roxanne McCool. She she just gets calls from us. I mean, it's, it's like, number one, they're super community focused. Every you can yeah. like. You can Google anything in sales or marketing, and probably the top four or five things are HubSpot perspectives and how-tos. And you know, here's the top eight things to focus on from an inside sales, outbound, inbound, direct. And it has nothing to do with trying to sell overtly HubSpot uh, sales or marketing hub or service hub or anything. It's about bringing value. What I talked about earlier, bring value to the market, bring value to the market. And yeah. so I'm just a huge fan because I think what ends up happening is they just keep getting calls, calls, calls. Uh, our HubSpot spend has gone up five, six, seven X since we started. And they're happy to do it. Yeah. And there's, really been, no, there's it. been no hard selling at all, Randy. Nothing. Yeah. Zero. We, we're always reaching out to them. And I think uh, Roxanne's a great example because I, I try to take lessons from her because she's answering technical questions. Like we're asking really in-depth questions mm -hmm. about this feature, that feature. How does it work? Where does it work? And she has answers. She's empathetic when we hit a brick wall because I probably ask a question that's kind of nonsense. Like it doesn't actually make sense. She never treats me like, you don't know this. You don't understand this. She doesn't refer me back to the PDF doc. She's like, you know, let me follow up on that. <laughs> And yeah. I took a lot of lessons from experiencing with her. HubSpot, also, if you're new to sales, like especially technical people oh, who've yeah. done well, and check out their content, man. Wow. It is gold. It, yeah. it lays out the whole process. The concept of a funnel, which I always bring up, is like being mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Inbound versus outbound and how if you can transition to a more inbound approach, like that first conversation is already on just a better trust level. I, I really also appreciate HubSpot content. Is, is there anybody else that stands out to you, another company that either you've worked with, you've heard about, maybe you follow that you go, man, these guys are really doing it right? It's a little different. And I first come across this from a book I read. Um, that's kind of my thing. When I when I take a new opportunity, I, my my growth pattern right is commit to something that's kind of like maybe 20% outside what I think I can do. And then give yourself a deadline and you got to figure out how to do it, right? And so that was kind of taken on the sales role. And the first thing I did was just get audiobooks. Because mm -hmm. worst case, whatever, I have something to listen to when I walk. Best case, I come up with some really new ideas. And one was To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink. Fantastic book. Mm. Talking about the modern approach to sales in an environment where we have mostly information symmetry. No longer is it the toner salesman. When you were knocking on those doors, you probably knew a heck of a lot more about the toner business than the person you were talking to. Yeah. Which for certain kinds of people, it encourages a different way of selling. Where now you go Google it. You said it yourself earlier. Everything I say in a room, in a recorded video, someone's going to go fact check, yeah. right? And if someone has an agenda, they're going to try to poke holes. So how do you sell in that environment? It's no longer the type A, really aggressive type, really close right now approach. And one of the case studies they have is Carvana. Mm. And when you think about sales and if it's a negative thought you have, you might be thinking about a car salesman. It's a, it's a stereotype, <laughs> right. right? It's this myth. Yeah. 
Carvana has a different approach to sales, starting from how they compensate their employees, the sales folks. They're on a salary. They're not on a commission. So whether you buy or don't buy, they're going home. They're, they're paying their bills, right? Yeah. That filters through everything else they do. And I've interacted. I've never bought a car from Carvana. I've wanted to, uh, but I've sold cars to Carvana. And that approach, I, I send friends, family. I always send them over to a Carvana. Hmm. Um, if I have an opportunity to do business with them, I will. Uh, they're, they're about informing you to make the right decision. They're being they're being a trusted advisor in your journey to make a purchase decision. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go with them, hey, that's fine. Good luck. They know the car industry. They've given me quotes yeah. and being like, hey, I know down the street, they're really aggressive about beating us. Yeah, we're this is the number we have. There's no negotiating. Why don't you go down there and show them this? They'll give you a better deal. They don't. They really just don't. Focus on that. And for that reason, I think they're better off business-wise. So I really respect that approach. I'm not selling cars, but there's a lot of lessons to learn. And that book is worth checking out, even if you're not in sales. Uh, My wife is looking for a new position right now. And you would not believe how much of uh, the job hunting process is just like the prospecting process for a sale. I mean, they're they're the same thing. Yeah. So uh, that's a worthwhile book, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what kind of job role you have. I'll, I'll check it out. Let's also link it up in the show notes if we can. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So th- this I want to I want to wrap up this kind of first section here. Right. talking about HashMap. We alluded to it throughout. We both work in sales at HashMap. And I think we both certainly I think HashMap is a little different in our approach to sales. How would you describe how it's different? Why does why is that a decision we've made consciously, not something we've just accidentally fallen into? Yeah, you talked about it earlier. This vendor neutrality of not reselling anything, and so I was at a um, so in the early years, I guess from ninety two to two thousand three, prior to going to Oracle, I was at a small consulting services systems integration firm, very small. I mean, I'm talking like 25, 35 people at at the apex. And we were actually a reseller. So we did consulting services, a little bit of JD Edwards, a little bit of FileNet, Documentum. Uh, but we also resold. We resold hardware. We, we, we resold software. And I'll use an example. So when we would go into a document management, content management opportunity, help me manage these unstructured documents. In the days, you would put them into a big FileNet or Documentum repository and you know store the data somewhere else you'd have these metadata pointers and you could pull thing you know pull the invoice up take a look at it associate it with uh, a transactional system all that but when you'd go in as a reseller literally any problem that came up it was it was fo- you were focused on ensuring that you were going to be able to get a product sale out of it there really was no difference uh, between a product team and and us as a reseller so i think that's for us, that's a big key. You don't get that product bias when when we come in. We're biased simply by what is going to work best for you. What have we seen yes. work best? And we're going to prove it to you and show you with these clients that that is the best thing. So to me, that's, that's a big one. I'd say we're just going to tell you the flat out truth. You and I were on the phone with a client today. They, they wanted us to uh, take a look at a big application development uh, uh, opportunity that's not what we do, right? We're in the data and cloud space, specifically helping customers develop great data pipelines, develop data products. This was a general application development. We literally told the guy, hey, we actually made a recommendation for another company. We said, hey, you're company. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. If you remember, we literally recommended it. We said, no, nope, that's not us. And it, it wasn't a small client. Like, no. just to be clear, it, you have all heard of this person. Yes. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just to be clear, like, we aren't throwing potato. Like, hey, we don't do because we know if we try to oversell on this and we somehow 
mislead someone down the path, it will come back to you. Yeah. And, but I'll tell you what, if they find a good fit for us, because we we're so good at giving them the tools they need to know when to come back. If they have another question, they can reach out about you know other tools, other spaces. Um, when that solution comes up, even for this specific application they were talking about, the data component is gonna be a beast, right? Yeah. And you might need a specialist. They're going to call back. That's right. That's right. So no pushing products, no gimmicks, no pressure. And, and just like that, we're we're going to just give you the unvarnished truth on not only should you be doing that, but are we the right person even to partner with to do it? And if not, hopefully we we'll give you another name or two. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's some of the differences I think that you get whenever you uh, call on HashMount. Yeah, I, I'd endorse that. And then from the technical side, gosh, I when I worked at a large company working there, there was always these false constraints due to politics or due to budget, but not really budget, just like literally this year, we need to wait three months to make a decision. And then the budgets, like just at a technical level, it's like, these are solvable problems and I hated it. And coming to a place where I'm doing some selling, there are people who don't know better all the time. Mm -hmm. Like if I wanted to, I could mislead someone to the wrong path for financial gain. And I'm never forced to do that. Yeah. I never have to make a recommendation for a tool that I know has problems or that someone for a specific environment, they're going to encounter just like a week after we walk away. When we get to our cars, we get to the parking lot. Like we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And I've talked to peers in other companies where, where they're like, man, I wish we just had this right tool, but whatever, we'll put them in here and hopefully they don't notice. You don't want to do that. So HashMap is fantastic in that way. I'll say it every time, every call, people got to be sick of it. Um, it is the best part of working here in any capacity because yeah. it, it filters through even our people on site. They can give raw, unvarnished yeah. feedback for value, right? It's not yeah. just sales. But so COVID, it's, it's a sign of our times. It is changing every industry. Yeah. How has that impacted our sales approach? So that's a great question. I, I think that when you look at COVID, um, it has forced us to get better in a lot of areas, quite honestly. I think we, you, you get, uh, I, I hate to say we're getting lazy because we work extremely hard at HashMap. <laughs> uh, all of us do. But, you know, Randy, the ability to truly measure and track and, and use the data that we talk about all the time in a really meaningful way, I think we have refocused on that since March yeah. to today. And I think we're using it better, more effectively. Uh, we're faster, we're quicker. Uh, and I believe that we're impacting clients in a more positive way. I'm not saying even, you know, doing business with us, that's great. But I'm just saying the value that we're delivering overall is really incredible. And to be able to measure and track that is, is fantastic. And, and if you want to talk about some of those things that we're doing a little bit, that would be great. That's one for me. We'll come back uh, to that for you. I'd say... Yeah. You know, no travel, honestly, for me, has been pretty nice. I, I have yeah. I have not minded that at all I, because it seemed like I was on a flight almost every week, maybe every other week. And um, it just it does wear you out over time. So to be able to not have to get on the road and, and feel like that, honestly, I, I don't feel like we're losing effectiveness by not being there. We're, we use, you know, Zoom. Google. Yeah. yeah. It, it was yeah. scary at first because it's like, man, if I don't, it, there are specific technology conferences. I one, I, I had speaking slots at, and I was really banking on yeah. to do sales. There. And when that didn't happen, I thought, man, what are we, what are we going to do? Yeah. We're going to have to change a lot. And we happened to have some new team members that had come on 
couple months before. And then little things like this podcast, this podcast straight out is not possible without support from our editing team, from Absolutely. our marketing team, from Kudos. the SDR team who, who turns yeah. it into eventually value down the line for the company, right? They don't pay for it just because they're, they're cool people. Yeah. We need to turn this into value. So um, it, it's all about that team effectiveness. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the other, absolutely. I feel like the other thing on the team side with COVID is it's, it's actually freed us up as hiring managers to not have to be constrained to a city or to a particular yeah. region. I mean, we are seeing value delivered from all, you and I work with clients all over the country, actually all over the world. All yeah. over the world, and uh, we're you're sitting in OKC. I'm sitting in Houston, and I feel like we are bringing it with value. So for me, as a hiring manager, I feel like I can hire literally anywhere, and that same kind of value can be translated. I, I so yeah. that has been you know nice to me to see that kind of lifted a little bit. I, I don't know how long that will continue, but uh, for now, I mean, we just um, I'm going to take advantage of that. Uh, and, yeah, for and hopefully, you, yeah. Is this one of the longest stretches you've gone in your career without travel? Oh, easily. Easily. easily? Oh, really? Yeah. What, is that? what is that? Five, six live? months? Five or six months of no, literally not being on a plane? Abs I've never done that. Probably even since the early days. Because like you said, you know, even just uh, jumping on for a day trip or going to a conference, uh, we'll, we'll probably be this like this at least through the end of the year. But even now, yeah, easily. It's, it's the longest five, six months. What, what what about uh, for you? Because you you and I were working together uh, pre COVID a lot, yep. but we've even I think we've our partnership has even gotten closer uh, post COVID since COVID started. Where where are you seeing some of the the impact? What are you seeing some of the changes? I don't know if you want to bring out a couple of tools that you've been able to implement that are really helpful. Sure. Yeah, no, I'd love to share that. Um, I, I think a lot of what I banked on was the ability to discuss technical concepts in a room and bring everyone with me. Like get on the whiteboard, like no matter where you're at, we can, we can, we can abstract it. But if we have the right person in the room who wants to get into the weeds, let, let's do that. We can do that. And that credibility allowed us to build solutions for people. And when you stop getting in a room, especially with client, we work with fortune 500s, not all of them have Slack, right? Not yeah. all of them are ready to be virtually yeah. walked through that process. That's changed a lot in the last couple of months they've adapted. But right when it changed, it's like, I need to find a way, me personally, to make an impact on HashMap, now that I can't go whiteboard, yeah, I, I can't grab a lunch with someone. I can, like, what do I do? And I started really thinking about why well, can generate content. Of course, I can do content, right? And I'll just stay busy. I I must I messaged you in March. And I was like, ah, man, it'll take two weeks. Like, we'll be fine. <laughs> I, I literally thought that's all it would take. Yeah. Um, and and so we started with something small. I've been interested. Uh, we had a really large client, big win, one of my most proud wins for all of us. Um, and it was around digital marketing, mm -hmm. healthcare on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, man, we could do this. Like yeah. we, we're doing it for you. Why, why don't we have this? Yeah. So we went, yeah, we had someone had set up Google Analytics at some point. We didn't really go any further with it. And most of our tech people are focused on clients. So I'm, I'm one of the very few who are privileged at HashMap to be able to take a longer view of the technical side of our own company. Not just training, not just trying to get to the next cert or trying to deliver out to the customer. Like, what would it look like if we tracked analytics? And at first, it was just a toy. It was interesting. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It made a cool picture. It was a great piece of content. It wasn't useful. Yeah. You didn't. None of us could change behavior. Right. And so we go to the next step. It's like, well, I see a spike, but I don't know why. We have HubSpot. Hmm. How, how do we understand what emails actually resonates, drive traffic? Yeah. 
And so, so we get into that and then we start the podcast and we see, well, there's traffic there. And after a while, we, we added a couple more tools to the point that we have, I think, a really mature stack. And I'm learning more. You got to do the basics first. So what I'd say is start with Google Analytics, use the dashboards they produce. When you hit the limit, it's time to get some syncing into a data warehouse, use something like Fivetran because they have it all baked out and then visualize that. And then we have reports coming in twice a week now automated to our Slack channel and it informs a lot of my content. One big decision I've made, and I think we're all seeing this, we used to be whatever, traditionally focused on oil and gas. I mean, like three years ago, we were really focused on oil and gas. And then we switched to working more with other companies because mm. data challenges are really similar across the industry. But we still had this impression of being, oh, they're the oil and gas. Right, right. It doesn't hurt that we have a huge Houston office. And we yeah. do have SME experience. Yeah. We are yeah. experts there. But financial services, three to one, four to one right now yeah. with oil and gas. They are our biggest hit on the website, on content. And when I'm able to make content on really just whatever I wanted, because I have that freedom, how do I direct it towards the most important things? And now I know financial services stories are the ones to tell. So we've become more data-driven in the content we produce, the way we distribute it, right? If we if we have a certain approach that gets a lot of unsubscribes in HubSpot, for example, and we've increased the buy in HubSpot so we get more insight there yeah. into what's working. So it, it's not necessarily a, a tool, one mm -hmm. tool. Um, we have a couple winners that really help, but it's this transition of uh, both trust building with the sales team where before it was a cool toy, but then you'd be like, what about this? And then you get an answer right away um, and it comes to you automatically. Um, I think it's it's a culture shift to be more data oriented. And so when things do bounce back strong um, and we are able to continue some of our expansion plans that we had to put a little on pause um, to different cities, I think we're going to be able to hit way more effectively than we were training training to earlier on. Yeah, I mean, the level of confidence, I mean, even when we're presenting internally to the co-founders or the extended management team outside of the sales and marketing team, I mean, the the amount of confidence in those numbers really comes through. The I mean, one yeah. on that. So there are some things I've always wanted to do, but they're, they're the moonshots, really. Mm. They're, they're just toys I think are interesting. But if we can take some Snowflake Inspector is a great one. Mm. I've always thought, man, if I could just take we have we have front end developers in house. Uh, I've done some front end work and I can do some automation. If we just took maybe two weeks to build this, we, we could have something really cool on our hands. Yeah. And I don't know if we'd turn it into business or not. So, so we took a flyer because the person we had COVID, they, they had a gap, mm. right? They're our front end dev. And I'm, oh, hey, can we get them? It was actually your idea. And my first thought when you said front end, I was like, I don't know, nothing. Well, okay. So I have this. So we started working on it two weeks because it would take that long to find a new gig for them. And we have the tracking now and it exploded, mm -hmm. like it just exploded. And I can't tell you how many big name companies now come and ask us about this. And if nothing else, they just said, Hey, that's cool. Please yeah. add this. And, and in another world, if we didn't have the tracking, it's like, okay, that's cool that you did that, but we have biz business yeah. to do. Go get a cert. But now we can show to the founders, to the, you know, we can show to the people who control the purse strings that this is a good investment for you, yeah. both on a brand perspective, but in a direct marketing yeah. area. And then the people who work with us, they gain a lot of really practical skills about yeah. how to build, you know, the non-traditional connectivity. So that's that's another it's something I wouldn't have expected, like Google Analytics. How, how is that going to impact me other than it's cool? But it really allows me to make a business case justification for doing things that don't necessarily have a dollar amount assigned to them right away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, 
you have uh, you've done such a good job of that that we've got um, again that it's the the level of confidence when we go okay give us you know one or two sprints let's roll something out maybe it's a set of new features maybe it's a new yeah. you know accelerator whatever that is to go back and say this is the impact here's the companies that are looking at it here's how many people are interested in this thing is really powerful and I, and I would say six months ago we didn't that was not there we could not have done that you know I I look back and I bring it up a lot. Some of the things we we thought about doing earlier on, um, with a little bit of that measurement, could we could I don't know, could we have pivoted differently, mm. right? Or, or I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I yeah. wanted to get to the core of what really made me want to do this episode because right. it's a little it's a little different than our traditional ones, right? <laughs> Talking about sales, yeah, data and tech and how that that converges. Yeah. Um, I feel we, on the spot here, by the way. You, you might be a little on I the feel spot. on the spot, yeah. So um, we we made a, a fresh round of hires. Mm. Um, and we're keeping we're keeping in mind the culture of our team, and how we have this trust first culture. But we also want some experienced people. And when you have those two together, right, you, you've got to think really critically about how that's going to mesh. Uh, and there's so many things that goes into hiring. And, and Kelly, you've got such a team based approach. Of course, you do the the qualifying right of the opportunity, the person right, more sales speak. But yeah. if if they can't mesh with the team, then it doesn't matter. So you set up calls with all of us. Yeah. And I've done I've done technical interview. I must. 50, 60 since I've worked here. I have them all marked off. Um, but I have no idea how to do a sales interview, especially a non-technical sales. Yeah. So I looked up some questions mm. and uh, there's a, been a mix of good ones and a mix of like, there's no way this is a real question people ask. So what I wanted to do with you right now is go over these questions and, and discuss like, yeah. do you think they're good? Do you think they're bad? How would you answer them? Um, we got we, we got just a few here. Does that sound all right? I think so. I think so. Okay. I may never get okay. another job after this, but. Uh. <laughs> okay. So first question, yeah. and I think this is a classic. I, I, of course, did not ask this. I ended up just like chatting to them, like what they're into. Oh, you were going to ask these new hire, these new recruits, some of these, some of yeah. these. Ah, okay. That, that's yeah. where I come across them. And yeah. some of them were really, really good. And some yeah. of them were like, what kind of person? Anyway, so first one. I think if you're thinking about a sales interview, if you've seen certain movies, like you've, yeah. you've heard this, sell me this pen. Right. First question. Yeah. Have you been asked that in an interview? And then second, what do you think of it as an interview question? Yeah, I have not actually been asked to sell anybody anything in an interview. I, I will tell okay. you, though, that uh, a recent uh, person that we were recruiting on the sales team, you know, I, I guess I ask it in a, in a little more... Um, practical way. So we've talked, we, we use HubSpot and I said, you know, try to sell me your, you know, version of a CRM, you know, bring yeah. it, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a HubSpot customer. Here's how large I am. Here's how many users we are, those types of things. So I like, I like that type of approach and I like to see, it's not so much about the pen or the CRM or, or the widget or whatever it is. It's more, are they, are they at, are they listening? Are they asking questions when they're trying to sell you that pen or sell you that CRM? Yeah. How, uh, how, how empathetic are they are? Did, did they hear what you're saying? Or are they just blasting on through the front door to get to their five key features, you know, and we, we yeah. can all tend to do that uh, on the sales side. You know, do they, do they, are they smart about how they're going about setting up the call, setting up the stories that they're telling? Can they draw on a few stories as they're selling yeah. me that pen? Um, and, and ultimately, Randy, too, I think this, you know, you're selling somebody a pen or a CRM. 
I, I'm not big into egos, but I do like confidence, right? So there, yes. maybe maybe it's a little bit of a fine line, but I, I like how confident are you that your approach is the right approach and you're going to get to the value on why ultimately I will get that pin from you. You know, maybe it's it's some other reason because I need to take some notes. Maybe I want the the status of that pin. Maybe it's a certain type of pin. I want this. I, I, don't, I don't, you know what? I'm, man, you're doing it right now. <laughs> I never would have come up with that. But, I just would have been like, it's a real good pen. Like, yeah. You just describe the pen, yeah. but you don't connect it to their needs. Yeah. That's not something. And so that's the thing, you know, whatever that thing is that you ask somebody, and I think it's a good practice, actually. I, I don't know about, uh, you know, how effective the pen is, but just doing something like that, I, you know, from a marketing standpoint, um, one of the things that I do along these lines, if, if we're hiring somebody in marketing is just, you know, write me a couple of pages. I literally could, it could be your your trip uh, uh, to the mountains this weekend. It, it doesn't need to be on tech. It doesn't need to be on your marketing yep. philosophy. Just write, let me see how you write, you know, because yep. obviously we use a lot of words in, in the marketing profession and that's uh, very germane all the time. So, same kind of thing. It, it's to me, it's not so much about the the object or, or what you're writing about. It's more, you know, take me through, show me how you do things, show me the the way that you do it. What so, have, you, have you ever been asked to somebody to, uh, you know, hey Randy, sell me this pen or what? What's been your? I, can you? Th what's yeah. been the craziest interview question you've ever been asked? Oh, the craziest. Yeah. Interview? Has there has there been one off the wall that you just you just looked at the interviewer? Uh, maybe it was pre-Paul, you know, you never know. It could have been pre-Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, pre I'll tell you what, I, I go back and forth on this. I think and this is the way with pre-Paul. I think He's either tough, he wasn't, man. he wasn't, I don't think he was testing me on what he was asking. Mm. He was testing me to see how I handled a hot situation. Yeah. Like, I think if I answered it right, he would have moved on to some other, like, that was what, yeah. I think he's playing some 3D chess. <laughs> I, I was asked, um, I was asked in an interview, it, it's more like a technical thing, just like, rate yourself on iot okay. like they went through a thing of like yeah. different different data like yeah. rate yourself on this on this in s3 this in redshift you know networking in aws all this other stuff and then one was what about iot yeah and i was just like what do you mean iot and they're like just iot and, and it was because they were a non-technical person asking yeah. technical things I'm like iot hardware some of the software what about the data problems that's where i'm really better at what about intermittent connectivity yeah so i guess that's a wild one I, when i ask people i, I like i like that though. i like the rate really? i have asked the rate yourself question before especially if, if somebody you is, like rate yourself if especially if somebody doesn't have a ton of experience or a ton of at bats if mm. i'm getting if, if i'm getting eight nine eight nine eight nine you know da, 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 you know give me some reality and you know if as long as you've got you know show me a little humility there's no way you can rate yourself a nine on every single question that I so have, that's right? the challenge right because yeah. everyone has different scales yeah and it was i think it was like one to five yeah and it's like okay what, what are we talking like if it's a five on s3 does that mean can i like build s3 from scratch right, or, right. And, and then there's like if i answer too high too off so what you do i think is like human people who have an amount of humility they're like they rate everything two or three yeah. Um, but then do they discount themselves? Right. I, anyway, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it must have merit, but I think if that's the only thing you're asking, like you're missing out. Absolutely. On a lot of, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not, it's not that, uh, it's not that easy to do. It's that you can't just rate it and come up with a number. It's, yeah. it, it may be fun, but you know, it doesn't give you the true picture. We're in agreement. This is a good question or mm -hmm. this version, versions of this question, right? Yeah. Would you think so? Yeah, um, I, I, I think so too. When I ask um, architects, which they have some element of selling people on ideas, I ask a version of this, which is a, let's let's do a, like a mock thing. I'm mm -hmm. a client. 
I have data and I want to go to the cloud with it. I like it. What services would you recommend and how do I get it up? Great question. And the people who do well, they don't answer. They go with like they start what asking. data. What are you yeah. doing? What are you objecting? And the other ones are like, oh, yeah, have you heard of S3? And then there's Snowball and that's really yeah. cool. So put it in S3. Yeah. And if that's it, it's like. Because it's this, you, well, I want to show how smart I am on all. I know all these technologies, but then you miss the the forest for the trees. You're not, you don't really know. Yeah. Okay, wait a minute. I think I just missed it here. You know, I just started spouting <laughs> off all the tech that I know. And I didn't really get to the the meat of the, why the question was even asked. That, that's the closest thing I have to a trick question. Yeah. In my whole bag. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. So the next one, uh, this is the one that actually made me want to do the podcast. So I'll preface it. What? Okay. You're really nice. Okay. You're doing an interview. You're interviewing with me. You're really nice. Wait, you're but interviewing you're me or I'm interviewing. Who's interviewing? I'm you? interviewing you. You're the sales. <laughs> you're the salesperson for my new sales. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. You're starting, a, yeah. you're starting up something you're, and you want yep. me to potentially come on and help sell this thing. Yes. All right. Got yeah. It. And you want it bad. Huh. You're, you really want this I need job. this. I need this. Do I have a job right now or not? I, you know, I think I think you you probably work for a company going under, right? So you know the writings on the wall. Okay, all right. Not HashCap, somewhat right. somewhere else, some legacy company. All right. You're, how look, old look, am I? How old am I? How old are yeah. you? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, you're probably younger. You're on the younger side. I, I, what do I have? Two or three years of experience? Maybe? Two, three. Okay. Yeah. yeah Ooh, maybe all right. Second or Gosh, first, I can uh, step back in the time machine to get get there. Right. You might be thinking about a ring in the future. Oh, okay. yeah. That that'll okay. play into it. I do need this then. Yeah. I got it. Two months ring. Okay. Look, look, Kalefel, you're real nice. I probably mispronounced your name. Look, look, Kay, you're really nice, but you're not an absolute You, you may not even give me the, the time of day because you're like, man, I don't want to have to pronounce this guy's name for the next five years. You're out. You're done. I spent a fortune on business cards. <laughs> That's right. You're going to have two just to get it you know, wrapped around. You're a really nice okay. guy, but you're not an absolute top producer, and I only have room for top producers on my team. Yeah. That's the end of the question. I know. I was, I was waiting to see if you're going to give me a little clarity on that. That's that's a, it's a, the, it's the, a good question. Why? So why, first of all, how do you, how do you know I'm not a top producer? That's what I'd like to know. Where did, I didn't I didn't put that that on my resume. I put I was the best thing since sliced bread on my resume. How do you know I'm not a top producer? Did I say it today or what? It's just it's just an impression I got, right? I, I don't know that you're going to be able to close these sales. Ah, okay. Okay. So, so I am, I'm exuding something today that I'm, I'm not a top producer. Maybe I've got a, like a level of desperation or something like that. Yeah, no, that that's tough. I mean, especially, it's tricky, isn't it? Doesn't that make yeah, you feel uncomfortable? It, it does. And, and, you know, when, when somebody says that you, you, you immediately look inside and you go, my gosh, what, if, how am I, am I coming across as desperate? Am I coming across as, you know, weak? Am I, am I to this, to, to that or whatever? And I think that maybe you could, with that type of question, maybe one way to approach it, if you if if you feel confident in your abilities to deliver for this company, is maybe you step back through the process. And maybe you have, maybe uh, this guy called and found, okay, I was 50% last year, 70% or whatever it is. Step through how you go about the sales process. You know, we talked about earlier, you can... People can't, we, all of us can get lazy in the sales process. Step through, tell yeah. a story, tell a story. And it doesn't, oh, yeah. it doesn't have to be a successful ending. I closed the million dollar deal. Talk about the process that you went through. And, and maybe it doesn't have a, a sales happy ending, but maybe talking through the process, you go, okay, I could see how this guy could actually do what I need him to do, or this lady could do what I need her to do here. 
let's take a chance. So I think if you just, if you don't, if your numbers are not good and you're just yeah. relying on the numbers, yeah, that's, it's going to be tough. Or, you know, you, you really do need to have that, that again, not, so, not ego, but confidence. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's a balance here whenever you're, I think you're interviewing. Keep in mind the context of this question was, was from an article I found on like lists of good questions to ask. Mm -hmm. and it, it wasn't like, how do you handle someone whose numbers are a little low? Like give them a, it was ask this and see if they, whatever, quote unquote, rise to the occasion. I, I'll go ahead and jump to my assessment of this. I think this is a great filter for your team to build a culture of not really great listeners, but like, like aggressive, like people who just pummel you with the word who take your, 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 your rejections or, or when they, when they get, I don't know, just a whole, it feels like the wrong culture to build. If this yeah. is the question you put up front. Cause I think a lot of more ambiverted people, more on the introverted scale, they might hear that. And I mean, I think there are members of our team. I don't think if I heard this, I would respond with like, yeah, I am. I just, I'd be like, Oh, okay. That's unfortunate. Like, no, you, you, I mean, you bring up a good point. I, I, I firmly know I, this is not even just a, I, I think I know that there is a, there are a large, there's a large percentage of, of really, really good salespeople SEs in this profession that are introverts, 100% guaranteed. Uh, this, this is not, everybody is this crazy, brash, extrovert, high ego. And what you'll yeah. find is that the introvert personality or some, uh, derivative thereof actually they do really really well you do really not have to be an extrovert to do well in sales and that's a that's a it's like car sale right oh every car salesman that oh every salesperson has to be this crazy uh lampshade on extra no they don't and i think that there's more than just the people in sales that some of them are introverted i think there's an ocean of introverts right now who they have wholly written off sales as a thing they can do well. Yeah. Just, I'm not going to consider it. Yeah. And there are people who will hire on the team in the marketing side who in the interview, first thing they'll say is, Hey, I don't want to do sales. And it's, Oh, it's a shame you feel that way. I mean, we, we don't want to try it. We want you as a marketer, but it's like that gut reaction, that aversion. I think there, there are fantastic yeah. salespeople who are just out there, not even aware of how much of an impact they could have. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna go back to your question, you know, like on, on some of these, sell me this pen and you're not a top producer, that kind of stuff. I mean, though, obviously all versions, of that, that's fine. But, you know, I, again, I'm gonna look for, you know, are you are you a, you know, huge brash ego or, or are you confident? Give, what balance do you have there? Do I perceive that you're lazy? You know, are you going to get after really? it? Oh yeah, I don't. Do you, I don't want anybody. For that? I, again, it's it, it, it is. It, it's it's hard to do if if I sense that 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 the work ethic is not there. And I'm not saying you got to work yeah. 19 hours a day, but you know, just you're. This is not. The people are not throwing their pocketbooks at you. This is hard yeah. to do, and and laziness just doesn't cut it. And and along with that, just that lack of initiative. You know create something, go figure out a way to do it. What, how creative can you be on a new approach or working with the team to come up with something yeah. that's, that's going to work. And not everything is going to be perfect. Not everything is going to work, but you're trying, you've got that initial. Yeah. I look for a lot of those kind of things as well, I would say. And, and it, if you don't have those and that, eh, I don't know that I'm going to be doing a lot of hiring for, for those profiles. I think especially the way we approach sales, I, I don't know exactly. I've never tried to do sales that that other way that we're contrasting ourselves against but i assume this is the hard good for thing. you don't ever do it <laughs> <laughs> like i feel like honestly it might i might close more numbers 
if I just had a churn of yeah. no names who come out, who I just give them the hard sell, push them, get them to the right paper, just to remove the stress of the room, move on, mm-hmm. right? But this this is just a, a more lasting experience. All right, last question, last yeah. interview question I wanted to cover. All right. What's the most meaningful failure you've had? And what did you learn from it? And you don't have to answer that, but have someone asked you a version of this question? What do you think of it as an interview question? Oh, I, so I've got, I do have one here. This is, this is an interesting oh, okay. question. I, I, again, I, I don't know if it's the most meaningful, but I, I, when you, at, so I didn't see this ahead of time. You, I, I literally went back through this 30 years. I go, what, what did I really screw up on? What was a big failure? <laughs> so I remember, so we don't, at Hashback, we don't do a lot of RFPs or re- requests for proposal responses. Yeah. We do some, we've been successful sometimes, other times not. Uh, back uh, for about 12 years um, at a previous consulting company, I did a lot of these. I was handling state and local and higher education accounts only. It's almost all RFP. There's there's none of this, hey, let's get a relationship and see how you guys know. It's, hey, here's, the, here's a 1,900-page RFP. You're going to have to fill out every bit of that to the T. And those were back in the days where you had the 12... Trip copies all rep, you know in paper, no email, and so you just have wow. these books and these RFPs. It's just like uh, you and I work on whether it be an RFP or a proposal. I mean, it always comes down to kind of the last minute. No matter how much you plan out, you because there's always more there's to do. Always something. Right? Yeah, it's like a work of art. Oh, I can add this. I can add that. Oh, that'll be better. Yep. Oh, let's take that out. And the more people you get in, the worse. So we worked on this thing, put in tons of time, all nighter, Randy, just all nighter. And this thing was due. So I was living in Houston at the time. This was due in Austin. This was for an Austin uh, state agency. So I had to, had to drive it there. There was, there was going to be no you know, delivering it or anything. I had to drive it. That's how close this was. And yeah. um, I can remember taking this huge box, running into the building. I don't remember which agency it was now, but running into the building, going up in the elevator, depositing that box and saying, oh, here's your RFP. And the guy looks at me and he goes, no, you're two minutes late. That we're not taking that. It, it was a hard, two? hard, yes, Randy, two minutes. It was a hard deadline and that it, it's not, we're not going to accept it. And I wow. just, I, so, I was, so, wow. I was just, you know, you have no idea the amount of time, effort, energy in the old days of putting these things together. And so not only did I let myself down, I let the entire company down by not getting it there on time. And I just, and he said, I said, well, what do I do? I just leave it here. He said, no, just take it with you. We're not going to open it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, wouldn't, he, even wouldn't, even, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even <laughs> leave it, man. He said, no, just take it with you. And, and he I, had no, 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 nothing. he wouldn't and cut that, a guy a break. That was, so what, what did I learn from that total ab? absolute failure was timing matters. <laughs> your, your timing does matter. Don't take for granted that, you know, a, you know, Oh, two minutes. That's no, if, the, if it's, if, if this is the thing that's been set as the mark, you have to hit the mark and not just yep. in re- responding to RFPs, whatever it is. Right. I mean, there, there's always something. So that was a big one. Do you, do you possibly have one that stands as I, you didn't want to be put on the spot here, but I, I honestly, I envision this me talking to you. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if I have one. Um, I, I'll tell you the one I, t- I say in interviews, right? Because you have to have an answer for this. Um, I, I was working at a very large oil and gas company, and I was working on a set of data, really important data for a new internal client. And uh, I made some trust early on, and I was cleaning up some files. This is the Hadoop days, right? 
And um, we, we had this, it's really technical, but we had the shortcut to look at data in a way that made it really easy to look at, almost like you're looking on Windows on your file system. And, and I, I deleted something, just to, mm. no problem. And normally, if you try to delete in the actual system on something that's secured, it doesn't let you. But the way that this is set up, it it killed everything. And not only did kill, not only did it oh. delete it, it used this special thing called skip trash. <laughs> oh no! It was gone. No. It was gone. And I'm oh. talking terabytes gone. We had just had the first dashboards that showed us how to make hundreds of thousands of dollars of wins. Oh and my god! I deleted the data. So the lesson, okay, the lesson there is that I, I always tie it back to security. Um, often when we're talking about digital security, we're thinking about the person who's going to hack in. Yeah. And I'll tell you, they're not the ones to worry about. Yes, you want to keep yourself protected, but real security is keeping people from making accidental mistakes, accidental changes. It's your admin who wouldn't betray your company, yeah. but they log in as root every single time. Yeah. Right? That's where security starts. So that's the lesson yeah. I give. I And I think my, my most... Hey, how you, by the way, on that, how you respond to that, I mean, we're, we're all going to make, we're all going to not get the oh, yeah. RFP there. We're going to drop a table. We're going to do this or that, but how you respond to that is to me more important than the, than the thing itself. Right. Yeah. No, um, uh, messing my boss right away. Told him two things. I screwed up big yeah. and I'll handle it. Yeah. It's two things he needed to know. Yeah. Um, grabbed one of the stakeholders there, took it to lunch. Turns out they have the data. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Right. And, and I told him it's a new thing. Got it back. And I think the trust we built from that, and maybe this is just me like pitching it for like to spin it better, but I think I built enough trust there. It's a great lesson to learn that we were able to get past what would have been a technical blocker. The things we were trying to do early on, even with those early wins, mm. it was a fraction of the real value there. Yeah. And you just had to push. And by pushing past that, we started meeting in person more often in rooms and we found an enormous amount of value to cut. And it's nice. these old systems, yeah. but... Um, I think that was that was telling in a lot of ways of just how do you handle failure? How do you how do you build trust even when you've screwed up? Yeah. Uh, and then be secure, bud. Like it, <laughs> these shortcuts are not worth it. Convenience yeah. is not worth screwing yeah. that. So no. what do you think? Good great or bad advice, uh, man. interview? No, those are great. Those are tough ones. I, I would not want to be sitting on the line with uh, you know you and a couple of guys asking me those questions. I feel like I wouldn't do really well on those. Oh man. Well, so that's, that's what I wanted to talk about today. Kelly, thank you uh, for coming on and sharing a little bit of your, uh, your sales knowledge. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it, Randy. It was great. Really, uh, really we had a great do. time. We could talk about this over and over. We might, we might do some more sales stuff in the <laughs> that's future. Right. Uh, All right. and, and then of course, thank you, the audience for listening. Uh, please subscribe for more HashMap ONTAP content and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.